Billy Graham has been an advisor to presidents and helped Hillary Clinton deal with her husband's infidelities. We'll interview Time Magazine editor and co-author of the new book, The Preacher and the President. And the killer of three teens in Newark, New Jersey last week turns out as an illegal immigrant. How did the system allow this to happen? This is Jerry Johnson Live from Criswell College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Your host is Dr. Jerry Johnson, President of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson. Explaining the inalienable rights of men, Jefferson said, the God who gave us life gave us liberty at the same time. That's President Ronald Reagan. Speaking of Thomas Jefferson and his references to God, particularly in the Declaration of Independence, President Reagan also said, if we ever forget that we are one nation under God, we will be a nation gone under. Very interesting. What is the role, the proper role, of the President of the United States? Roosevelt talked about the bully pulpit. Interesting he would use the word pulpit. Is it proper for a president to refer to God, to govern with reference to God? We've got a preacher this year running for President of the United States, Mike Huckabee, he answered a question at one of his debates about the role of faith in public office. When a person says my faith doesn't affect my decision-making, I would say that the person's saying their faith is not significant enough to impact their decision process. I tell people up front, my faith does affect my decision process. My faith affects my decision process. All sorts of interesting questions here about presidents and their faith, particularly with Mitt Romney, a Mormon, running for presidency of the United States. And we have a fascinating interview coming up later in the program. Penna, tell us about it. Wow, you got to wonder about what it would be with a Mitt Romney presidency with uh, the topic today, Billy Graham, as an advisor to him, because, you know, for generations, presidents and their families have actually given Billy Graham the opportunity to be somewhat of a family pastor, but it's really more than that. He's provided encouragement and strength and advice. Some of his conversations with various presidents are surprising, and they're in a new book chronicled there. The book is The Preacher and the Presidents. We're going to interview its co-author, Nancy Gibbs. She's also editor-at-large for Time magazine. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, let me ask you some questions out there, folks. Which president was embarrassed by Billy Graham kneeling for a photo op on the White House lawn? Which president asked to see Billy Graham to discuss an important matter but was dead before they ever got to do it? And which president 
was led to faith in Christ after a meeting with Billy Graham. You'll want to hear this. You'll want to find this out at the half hour. Do not miss it. But we have a very disturbing story today to talk about. The illegal alien crisis. Is this a national security issue? Have you heard of Jose Carranza? He's an illegal immigrant from Peru. He was indicted twice this year. 31 counts surrounding the alleged sexual assault of a child. Nine counts stemming from a bar fight. But this is the man who killed three young college students, execution style, in Newark, New Jersey, last week. This illegal alien, this illegal immigrant, had been freed on $5,000 bail. And because New Jersey is a sanctuary city, Newark, New Jersey, a sanctuary city, uh, local officials are not allowed to communicate this information uh, with the federal government. They're not allowed to detain this kind of person who is here illegally, who's already guilty or been indicted in any case, already documented as someone who is uh, here without permission, illegally. What do you think about this story? Are you outraged? The Newark mayor, Cory Booker, pounded on the coffin of one of these executed victims and shouted, Enough is enough. And I think he was talking about violence in general. But Newt Gingrich has picked up on this penna, and he said this enough is enough uh, should apply to the illegal, illegal immigration crisis and the fact that we do not have control of our borders. Even when these illegal aliens are detained, uh, they are not held, they are not deported, they're put back into the public. And this is a national security risk. We want to know what you think, and we have some other stories just like this to talk about in a moment. But we're going to open up the phone lines at 800-881-9270, 800-881-9270. Do you think these three execution killings are an evidence that we are in a crisis when it comes to illegal immigration, a national security crisis? Do you support amnesty, or do you support building the walls? Do you support the idea that any time any law enforcement person picks up an illegal alien, that person should be detained until they are deported, never released back into the public? Let's talk about it. 800-881-9270. What do you think about the notion of sanctuary cities where illegal aliens known by the government officials are able just to move around freely. 800-881-9270. While you're calling, let's listen to some congressmen and some senators talk about illegal immigration. This may not be the president's intent, but the net result of what he said is he's issued a two-word Texas colloquialism south of the border. Illegal aliens, y'all come. There's the economic impact of massive immigration, both legal and illegal, but especially illegal immigration, where you've got the the cost of educating children to people who are here illegally. You have the cost of providing medical care to people who are 
here illegally. You have the cost of incarcerating people who have broken the law. 27% of the are non-citizens, and 90% of those are illegal aliens. You build a wall. We are capable of building a wall along our southern border. You go and you simply make it a criminal act for employers to hire illegal aliens. You even put a few in jail if you need to, and pretty soon the jobs dry up and the access to U.S will change our whole culture and it will not be the, the weakness that we have right now. Uh, these folks in Washington just uh, dither and blather and bloviate uh, on this. The first step is before we start talking about any sort of benefits to uh, illegal aliens in this country, we have to secure the border. We have to secure the border. Well, what do you think about it, folks? The number is 800-881-9270. And, folks, this isn't anti-Mexican, this kind of talk. This man was from Peru. He was an illegal alien from Peru, already indicted. But because Newark is a sanctuary city, federal authorities were never told about this man. He was released on bail back into the city, back into the culture. And uh, now we have three dead college students as a result of this kind of policy. What do you think about it? We've got Bob on the line from Terrell. Bob, what's your view? Yes, Dr. Johnson, uh, I think it's ridiculous the fact that uh, once they walk into the courtroom and they say illegal alien, they uh, they're, uh, they have uh, broke, broken, the, uh, broken the law. I called Rudy Giuliani's headquarters and I've asked uh, Rudy Giuliani uh, workers the fact that uh, Rudy Giuliani talks about he's uh, tough on terrorism, but how does he view this, the fact that uh, he's from uh, New York and he's from that area of the woods, and uh, the fact that sanctuary cities... Yes, uh, New York is a sanctuary and, uh, city. And uh, they said uh, they would not answer that at this time. I said, well, you say you're tough on uh, terrorism. This is an act of terrorism on the United States and the sanctuary cities. Once they walk in... And they're let go, they walk in again, they're let go. Once they walk in and they say they're, ter- uh, the, uh, not terrorism, but a uh, illegal, illegal alien, that's when you deport them and, and uh, you don't let them back in America. And Thank you so much, Bob. We've got to move on, but your point is well taken, and that is Rudy Giuliani um, was mayor of a sanctuary city, and he supports those policies, Newark, New Jersey, Los Angeles, many other sanctuary cities in the United States. And sanctuary cities do not allow local law enforcement officials to contact federal officials when they find illegal aliens. They're, they're protected, they're safe, and they're considered uh, de facto legal if they're within those city limits. In Penna, this, this uh, execution-style killing where these three college students were killed that's not an isolated incident. You have another story there. If you just tell us about it, again, illegal aliens uh, perpetrating crime, and uh, because they've been put back in the system. Well, this one isn't even um, a, a really a crime in a sense that uh, it was not premeditated. But in, in Houston, this story just came out yes, or actually today, that a man uh, caused a wreck that killed three people, killed a family, and he was speeding and he was rapidly changing lanes about 8:30. He rear-ended this car. It turns out he had a 0.24 uh, blood alcohol level, which is three times the legal limit in Texas. And uh, he turned. It turns out that he 
uh, is an illegal uh, alien in the um, in the country illegally. He's in police custody now. Uh, so, you know, there's another one. And they are still looking for the other perpetrator of the shootings in Newark. Uh, this other guy is suspected also of being illegal in the country from a Central American country. And, you know, you, you might, you didn't mention, Dr. Johnson, that there were actually four kids shot, one still alive, shot in the head. And she's the sister of one who died and was very brave to uh, give what she knew, even though she was dealing with her own problems. But um, recently I've... Uh, uh, found the statistic that fewer than half the foreigners convicted of crimes in the U.S., most of whom are in the country illegally, are deported after even serving their sentences. If they are sentenced and go to jail, they should be de- de- deported, and and they're not being de- uh, deported. And that's something that really has to be fixed, and it's something that Newt Gingrich, in his piece, was very upset about. All right, folks, we want to know your opinion. We've got an expert coming on in the second segment. You want to stay tuned for that. But we've got callers on the line. Sean from San Antonio. Sean, thank you for calling and holding. What's your view? I grew up on the Rio Grande border between Texas and Mexico, and it's so out of control, and it's such a shame that politicians are overlooking this because they want that Hispanic vote, and Democrats, Republicans are letting them in on the fact that they want their vote. My husband spent 16 months in Iraq. He was the first group to be extended. We have more terrorists that are here in this country that we cannot account for. It's such a farce having our troops die you know, hundreds a month uh, when they can cross the border. They are not going to fly into JFK Airport next time. They're going to cross the border through Canada or Mexico. I believe in legal immigration doing it the legal way. Thank you so much, Sean. You know, Sean is mentioning here a link between open borders and terrorism. And the link is more substantial than you think. Penny, you have a story today about a link between Mexican drug cartels and terrorism. The federal government has known about this for some time, and a lot of people have not paid attention to this. Talk to us about that. Well, we've known about it since uh, 9-11, and uh, Asa Hutchinson, who has been a Homeland Security Undersecretary, said that in 2001, actually, the DEA uncovered this link between these cartels and terrorist groups, and the Washington Times today delineates this, this uh, report that has been published that says Islamist sleeper cells in the U.S. and Mexican drug cartels in working together it's the money you got to follow the money in these cases all right folks what is the christian worldview our attitudes our actions but towards illegal aliens illegal immigrants 27 percent of our prison population non-citizen what does that say about the united states and open borders we've got an expert when we come back we've got two people holding on the line this is jerry johnson live with Dexter. We'll be back, and don't forget Billy Graham and the Presidents at the half hour. You don't want to miss it. Generations of ministry leaders have one common point, a ministry education from the Criswell College in Dallas. To date, ministry leaders from the Criswell College are in service all over the world. With the fall term just around the corner, your education can follow this same distinguished path. An education from Chriswell is grounded on the Christian worldview, witness, and God's Word, the Bible. The Word and Worldview focus of Chriswell gives you a more effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ and prepares you for kingdom service. The fall semester registration is August 15th, 16th, and 17th. Classes begin August 20th. 
See chriswell.edu for details on classes and the Master of Arts in Christian Leadership degree. Chriswell students are ready for the challenges of today's ministry environment. Classes in evangelism, missions, preaching, communications, all are fully accredited and small class sizes point the focus to your success. Find out more at 800-899-0012 and on the web at chriswell.edu. Uh, these folks in Washington just uh, dither and blather and bloviate uh, on this. The first step is, before we start talking about any sort of benefits to uh, illegal aliens in this country, we have to secure the border. Then uh, the next thing we have to do uh, is come down hard on those who knowingly employ uh, illegal aliens so that we can dry up that source uh, for uh, the illegal aliens. With the American people and with most of my House Republican colleagues, a pathway to citizenship, also known as amnesty according to Black's Law Dictionary, is a non-starter. Amnesty is wrong because amnesty rewards someone for illegal behavior. All right, amnesty, amnesty. What do you think of amnesty for illegal aliens? And what do you think about sanctuary cities that release indicted criminals out on bail, do not turn these people into federal immigration officials, and this past week we've heard of one such criminal who was released back into the public and executed three college students. What do you think of this, folks? What does this mean for America? We've got callers on the line, our expert coming right up. But Judy from McKinney, thank you for holding. Judy, what do you think? I think some of these cities ought to check with Irving Police Department and see what they're doing. What are they doing in Irving? Well, I think they're uh, deporting several a day through the INS. So Irving is turning in illegal aliens as they find them in normal criminal activity, turning them over to the Federals. I believe so. Well, I hope they are doing it. And uh, may their tribe increase. Thank Thank you for that call uh, so much, Judy. Folks, on the line now, we have an expert to talk about this. John Wahala is Assistant Director of the Center for Immigration Studies in Washington, D.C. John, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for having me, sir. John, do you believe this story uh, about these three executed college students, do you believe this is going to galvanize public opinion that... Uh, Local, state, and federal officials are going to have to work together and not release illegal aliens back out into the public. Well, I I hope that it has a major impact. I tell you, we do a CIS News Roundup here, which is just a compilation of stories about immigration every day during the week. And almost a week doesn't go by that we have, uh, you know, a story like this. And It's easy to talk about statistics and numbers, but when you think about these individual cases, and particularly this case, the heinous nature of the crime, it's really disheartening because it could have easily been avoided. And uh, like you said, it's the complete disregard and, and, uh, you know, lack of enforcement by the federal officials that has created a situation in which illegal aliens who are criminals, uh, you know, who have come here illegally and committed other crimes can, can do this sort of thing. It's, it's very disheartening. 
John, while you're on the line, let's interact with a couple of callers here. We've got Ben calling in from Flower Mound. Ben, thank you for calling. Uh, what's your comment or your question? Hey, I, yeah, I have to agree. I mean, it kind of appalls me. My parents came over from the Philippines as doctors and a, and a nurse. And to me, to allow illegal aliens who come here to begin with, by showing they come here illegally, they're willing to break our laws and refuse to obey the law to begin with. I think it cheapens the citizenship of those who persevere and go about it the right way and do it legally. I mean, it just disgusts me that we would end up using our own tax dollars against us to shelter, to even have cities who would be safe harbors for illegal aliens, in essence, making them criminals. I, would, I, I just have trouble believing that, but I think today in the politics, they're more interested in legacy building as opposed to establishing integrity in the government. Hey, thank you so much, Ben. John, let me ask you this. I, I want you to listen to Teddy Kennedy, Senator Ted Kennedy, in the recent uh, amnesty debate and the so-called comprehensive immigration proposal that was shot down in the Senate. Here's Senator Kennedy. There's broad consensus that 12 million undocumented workers who are here should be offered the chance to earn their legalization. If this bill becomes law, it will provide an historic opportunity for millions of people right away. Right away. Right away. What he means by that, John, I think, is uh, that immediately these illegal immigrants can be made legal. This is um, what some have called illegal immigration shamnesty. Do you, do you, do you think uh, that this so-called comprehensive immigration reform, do you think it's dead now? And do you think we're going to focus on border control, border enforcement, building the fence? What do you think? Well, there has been in recent uh, weeks and recent days a move, at least in the media, by the federal government to um, take on some of these enforcement mechanisms. But unfortunately, we've seen this on behalf of this administration and past administrations, and it's only been piecemeal. Oftentimes, it's been done in a run-up to try to get an amnesty through or for other political reasons, and then there's been another drop-off, and they've stopped um, having across-the-board consistent enforcement. Senator Kennedy is right about a broad consensus, but the broad consensus is that the both leaderships in both parties at the national level favor amnesty and they favor open borders, and there's no issue, no other issue where there's a greater disconnect between the leaderships at the federal level and the American people. We've done research on this. We've analyzed polls, and we found no greater uh, disconnect. And the senators saw that and the tremendous backlash that they experienced when they believed they had a consensus to pass this bill, and it was only because the American people were so uh, loud and, and uh, boisterous, rightfully so, against this uh, very bad bill in June that uh, would have given amnesty to the 12 million. And that was the only reason it didn't pass. And so the only thing stopping uh, another amnesty is, you know, having the American people speak up and, and uh, you know, voice their disfavor. John Mahala is with us. He's with the Center for Immigration uh, Reform 
And uh, John, you know, one of the things that people were saying who opposed this amnesty was, why can't we do the borders first and let's secure the borders, stop the inflow, and then deal with other things, those who are here. And I noticed a piece today talking about the Border Patrol asking for volunteers to help build these fences that the U.S. government, even the National Guard troops were actually sent there to do. It hasn't been done. So that kind of shows the lack of commitment, doesn't it, John, on the part of this administration to the border? It certainly does. And we've seen that for a number of years by the Bush administration. And it's unfortunate. They've committed uh, resources or Congress has passed laws to create border fences and, and provide more agents. And they've not funded those or they've, you know, discouraged the funding of it. And in addition, you know, worksite enforcement, we always say, is a, is a major element to, to enforcement. Border enforcement is, is our primary defense. It's vitally important, and it's been disregarded. But in addition to that, we have to have worksite, worksite enforcement across the board because that, as you know, is the magnet that draws illegal aliens into this country. We believe at the center, we've looked at it, that... Uh, such a program could be implemented and could have a substantial effect. And to date, uh, there just hasn't been the political will or the effort to do such a thing. This is Jerry Johnson Live, and we're talking to John Wahala about illegal immigration. We've got Blaine on the line from Royce City. Blaine, thank you for calling. What's your comment? Well, I just, I, you know, I think about this. I hear all this stuff going on. If they're here illegally, they're illegal. End of story. They serve their time. If they've committed a crime, then they get deported. They pay their price. They go home. Uh, Pretty if simple there. Supporting them, then they're aiding and abetting, and they need to pay a price too. Hey, thank you so much, Blaine. Let me ask you this, John. Um, you said that this, in terms of polling, this is the worst issue for disconnect between those in Washington D.C. and those out here. Um, you know all over America, up and down the line, why is it that the politicians in Washington are so out of sync and out of step with the common people on this? I mean, most people would say illegal activity is illegal, should not be sanctioned, should not be subsidized, should not be uh, supported. What's, what's wrong? Well, I think there's a lot of speculation. We do it here. One of the reasons is because the leaders at the national level are the elite. Uh, they're insulated largely from illegal immigration. Um, unlike you and I and, and some of your listeners, uh, they're not affected when they, they don't go to, to the emergency room and see the, uh, you know, the folks there who are illegal and who are, who are uninsured and, and, and need care. Uh, they don't see the fiscal burden that it's creating at the state and local level. And in addition to that, there is a very heavy lobbying uh, effort on the part of uh, you know both the right and left, at the on the right, there's business interests who see illegal immigration as a um, you know uh, availability of cheap labor, where immigrants will come and the illegal immigrants will work hard and uh, undercut native-born and legal immigrants in terms of wages and working conditions. On the left, you have ethnic lobbyists, mm -hmm. uh, you know ethnic group pressures where. There are groups who, who want to, uh, you know, bring in more because they feel like it will bring them more political power. In addition to that, you have lawyers who benefit financially from illegal immigration. And so all the money interests are those on interest, the other side. Those interests, those lobbyists. Well, we're glad 
There are people like you that are up there uh, tugging the other way. John Wahala, the Assistant Director of the Center for Immigration Studies. Thank you, John. We hope to have you back again. I would love to be back. Thank you. All right, folks, this show is about the Christian worldview. 1 Peter 2, 13 says this, Submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers. And so, as Christians, we ought to be encouraging others to obey the law. Why? The laws are here to protect us, to protect us from people like this man who executed three college students. We disobey the law, people get hurt. When we come back, Billy Graham and the Presidents. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. I am very grateful that I had a grounding in faith that gave me the courage and the strength to do what I thought was right, regardless of what the world thought. Hillary Clinton talking about uh, the time when she actually forgave her husband for his infidelity with Monica Lewinsky. Of course, it was very public. She says that she received solace from Billy Graham. And uh, we're going to talk about Billy Graham and his relationship with presidents. Uh, Let's go back to uh, President Bush talking about the same thing. A prayerful nation is a strong nation. A prayerful nation is a nation the true strength of which lies in the hearts of the men and women of our nation. Most of you have probably heard about uh, President Bush's uh, walk on the beach at Kennebunkport with Billy Graham. Really changed the president's life, gave it a new direction. Of course, he wasn't president then, became president later. Many presidents have had wonderful relationships with Billy Graham. And there's a new book out about it, just out. And it's, uh, it's called The Preacher and the Presidents, Billy Graham and the White House. With us is its co-author. She is Nancy Gibbs, editor-at-large for Time Magazine. She's actually written well over 100 cover stories and regular essays and profiles. She won the National Magazine Award for her black-bordered special issue on 9-11-2001. Lots of other coverage uh, that she's done. And uh, we're so delighted to have Nancy Gibbs with us. Nancy, thanks for joining us. It's nice to be with you. Uh, we're thrilled to be able to talk about Billy Graham. Of course, uh, everyone knows that he has had great influence on the presidents, and uh, some of it public, but some of us, uh, some of it also private. And you are all actually privy to some of those private conversations that uh, Billy Graham had with some presidents. How did you get into his mind and into his heart about these things? Well, my co-author, Michael Duffy, and I were, were very fortunate, and I think it tells you something about the place Billy Graham has in the hearts of these men and women, that um, he agreed, we were very grateful that he agreed to uh, talk to us for this book, because he isn't giving interviews any longer. His health is, is pretty frail, and, and so he really is sort of in seclusion on his mountaintop, and so we visited him a, a number of times over uh, a 13-month period. And I think because he was willing to talk to us and because of their feelings for him, uh, we were able to speak with all the living presidents. We even we spoke to President Ford before he died, to Jimmy Carter, um, Bill Clinton, uh, George Bush, and, and then Nancy Reagan and Lyndon Johnson's daughters and advisors and family members of the other presidents because they all 
had these amazing stories to tell about the the part of the relationship that we didn't see. It wasn't the part that we saw, you know, of, of Billy Graham praying on Inauguration Day or after the Oklahoma City bombing or 9-11 or some of the occasions where he has really stepped out as sort of America's pastor. These were much more private encounters, uh, usually in the private quarters of the White House, where he would just go and visit with the presidents and their families and talk to them on very personal, very intimate terms. Which one was the most surprising to you? It's, it's hard to say. In one sense, I would say Eisenhower, only because... You know, if you think about it at that time, Billy Graham was not yet the world-famous figure he became. He was about half Eisenhower's age, and we, we think of Eisenhower as this kind of, you know, tough, sometimes profane, you know, general who had sort of had an allergy to churches as an adult. Uh, and the idea that he <laughs> formed the kind of, of real friendship that he did with Billy Graham surprised even some of his advisors. Uh, but all the relationships were different. He was probably closest pastorally to Lyndon Johnson, politically to Richard Nixon, personally to George Herbert Walker Bush. You know, the the relationships had different dimensions with different men. But in every case, there there was a private side to it that was really fascinating to explore. There were a couple of events that were teased at the beginning of the program, and I'm not even sure if these are in your book. I imagine they are because I've only read part of it. But uh, a photo op uh, of Billy Graham with the president kneeling on the White House lawn that turned out to be a bit of a uh, an embarrassment for the White House. Can you describe that one? You know, in in one sense, it was it was one of his worst White House moments and the one that saved him. It was the very first time he ever went to the White House. It was the summer of 1950. And he'd been invited to come see Harry Truman. And the, the visit went perfectly well. He and his fellow evangelists, you know, had a, had a nice talk with the president. They talked about the Korean War, which had just begun a few weeks before. They prayed together. It was all very cordial. But then when they left the White House and the press corps descended on them and wanted to know everything that was said and, and took this now famous photograph of them kneeling in prayer on the White House lawn, Truman was so furious at what he thought was a publicity stunt that he banned Billy Graham from the White House thereafter. <laughs> and, and Mr. Graham was so sort of chastened by this and realized that he had made a mistake. He apologized to, to Truman, and, and he promised himself, if I ever have the privilege of meeting another president, I won't talk about it, I won't say anything, um, I'll be much more discreet. And he told us, he said, he, he said, I think once the presidents realized they could talk to me about their families and their fears and what was on their minds and not read about it in the papers the next day. It made it easier for them to really open up. It's funny to hear that humility if I ever have the chance to meet with another president, because in fact, Billy Graham was actually a pastor to 11 presidents, uh, even to one who wants to be president, Hillary Clinton. And uh, talk about the uh, quote-unquote solace that he provided her, really affirming her decision to forgive her husband for Monica Lewinsky. One thing that is so remarkable to us about the modern president is that, I mean, of course he met Truman in the White House, he met Eisenhower as he was considering whether to run, but the modern president, you know, with, with you know, Nixon and Carter, who ran a, a Graham crusade, and Reagan and both Bushes and the Clintons, in many of these cases he first encountered them decades before. So he first met Hillary Clinton, well, she first saw him when her then-boyfriend took in law school a young fellow named Bill Clinton wanted her to hear Billy preach and took her to a crusade in Oakland in 1971. But she met him in person when she was First Lady of Arkansas, and they really became friends. So that during Monica, when she was struggling both with the obvious public political challenges of that year and with her private 
personal issues of how to think about you know her her husband's betrayal she said that that her conversations with mr graham were so important to her in helping her think through the issue of forgiveness which he told her is he said forgiveness is the hardest thing that we're called to do and i'm just really proud of you for taking this on she told us he was just personally very there for her and was a very understanding and supportive presence at a time she said when you know everyone in the world was was judging me and judging my decisions and and not many people seemed to understand what she was wrestling with well, uh, I think it's interesting to see that Billy Graham actually said, and, th- and though it was a joke, he was criticized for it, that President Clinton, when he left the presidency, should actually become an evangelist because he, because he had all the gifts. Uh, he, he did, and then he went on. The reason he was criticized was he went on and said he could leave his wife to run the country. Yeah, that's pretty, pretty amazing, pretty prophetic. And that was the part that got him in trouble, and you know, his son Franklin had to explain to reporters later, you know, it was the joke, he was, you know, it was... Um, but the, the, the Clintons say that, that uh, President Clinton's grandmother used to say the same thing. You'd, have, you'd be a great preacher if you weren't such a bad boy. And, um, and Mr. Graham talked very, he talked very warmly, uh, certainly about the Clintons, about the Bush family, uh, about the Reagans, and he talked about them and he said, I thought of them as friends. I didn't think of them as the president. I, I just thought of them as friends. Nancy Gibbs is my guest, and she's got a great new book out uh, about Billy Graham, The Preacher and the Presidents. And Nancy, talk about the relationship between Billy Graham and John F. Kennedy. Well, that one, in a way, was it was probably the most distant, for very understandable reasons. Billy Graham was very close to Richard Nixon when Nixon was vice president. They kind of grew up together in Washington, and, and Nixon was his first true friend in Washington. And so... When he was running for president in 1960, Graham was very, very plain that he was supporting Nixon. He actually even wrote to then-Senator Kennedy that summer and said, I want you to know I'm not going to speak out on the religious issue because obviously issues between Catholics and Protestants were white-hot during that race. I'm not going to speak out on the religious issue, but you should know I'm, I'm personally for, for, for Nixon. It doesn't have anything to do with religion. It's just I think he has the experience to be a good president. And... And he was giving Nixon all kinds of advice and counsel privately during that campaign, almost came out and endorsed him in a story in Life magazine right before Election Day, which he, he pulled at the very last minute. And Kennedy knew all of this, and so it was natural that he this would not be a, a, a sort of natural alliance. And yet his father uh, urged him to invite Billy Graham down to Florida four days before Kennedy's inauguration, for a very public round of golf and a visit, and they then met with reporters afterwards. And it was designed to help reassure people that it's everything's okay about you know having a Catholic in the White House. And indeed, Graham got up in front of about 300 reporters and said, you know, I think the outcome of this election shows there's not as much religious prejudice in this country as some people had thought there might be. And he promised he'd support President Kennedy in any way that uh, he could. Is it true that uh, President Kennedy asked for a meeting with Billy Graham uh, just a few days before he was assassinated? It was interesting. There was one moment where he, he, after a prayer breakfast, where he wanted to talk a little further. Mr. Graham was was ill at the time and, you know, didn't want to get the president sick, and so he sort of begged off. But then right before the assassination, um, Graham had a strong feeling that he wanted to talk to the president. He had a bad feeling about that the trip to Dallas. He worried that the 
the the politics in Texas at the time were were very heated. There was a lot of hostility to the president, and he, I think it was through maybe John Connolly that he wanted to get a message to the president and talk to him, and they never connected in the end. Nancy Gibbs, uh, there are so many other things that I would like to ask you, and I'm sure our listeners would like to know, and the only way they can know it uh, is to get your book, The Preacher and the President by Billy Graham. Nancy, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. You know, it's very interesting to see one of the stories uh, about President Johnson. Uh, and uh, he was speaking with Billy Graham, and Billy Graham told him, we are not saved because of our own accomplishments. I am not going to heaven because I have preached to great crowds or read the Bible many times. I'm going to heaven just like the thief on the cross who said at the last moment, Lord, remember me. That's what Billy Graham told Lyndon Johnson. Ladies and gentlemen, next up we're going to talk about more about the faith of presidents or future presidents. Stay with us. Generations of ministry leaders have one common point, a ministry education from the Criswell College in Dallas. To date, ministry leaders from the Criswell College are in service all over the world. With the fall term just around the corner, your education can follow this same distinguished path. An education from Criswell is grounded on the Christian worldview, witness, and God's Word, the Bible. The Word and Worldview focus of Criswell gives you a more effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ and prepares you for kingdom service. The fall semester registration is August 15th, 16th, and 17th. Classes begin August 20th. See Criswell.edu for details on classes and the Master of Arts in Christian Leadership degree. Criswell students are ready for the challenges of today's ministry environment. Classes in evangelism, missions, preaching, communications, all are fully accredited and small class sizes point the focus to your success. Find out more at 800-899-0012 and on the web at Criswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. When a person says my faith doesn't affect my decision making, I would say that the person's saying their faith is not significant enough to impact their decision process. I tell people up front, my faith does affect my decision process. And that's Governor Mike Huckabee. Uh, He got a little boost this weekend in the Iowa straw poll where he came in second behind Mitt Romney. And as we discussed yesterday, Mitt Romney spent a lot of money on uh, getting his delegates there, getting the voters there to vote for him uh, and paying their entrance fee and uh, having a band. Mike Huckabee didn't really pay the fees for the folks that came and voted for him. He didn't have the money to do so. Uh, He had a presence there, and uh, the band that entertained people was his own band, uh, which uh, performed for his supporters. So really, uh, a lot of people in the media are now saying that uh, the straw poll in Iowa was uh, um, great for Mike Huckabee, and in a sense, he was the big winner there. Uh, But he is not apologetic about his faith. He's a former Southern Baptist preacher. He was governor for more than 10 years of the state of Arkansas. Very interestingly, um, Guy Tucker was the governor after Bill Clinton, but then um, he had to step down. Mike Huckabee was his lieutenant governor, stepped in and did a great job in that state in many ways. Now he's running for president, and uh, if you've got any comments on what you think about uh, his win in Iowa, whether it helps him, whether it propels him, 
whether it gives him some momentum to move into the first tier, give us a call, 800-881-9270. We're going to have another uh, presidential candidate on the program on Thursday, Duncan Hunter, will uh, actually join us on Thursday here on Jerry Johnson Live. And I might mention another program note. Tomorrow, uh, Dr. and Mrs. Paige Patterson. Paige Patterson and Dorothy Patterson. Dr. Patterson is uh, president, Southwestern Theological Seminary in Fort Worth. Dorothy Patterson is a professor there. And we've had uh, her on the program many times. We've also had Paige Patterson on the program. And tomorrow they're going to join us on a very interesting topic that's becoming somewhat controversial. And that is the fact that Southwestern, for the first time, will be offering a program, a degree program, about homemaking. Pastors' wives, people, uh, women, it's only for women, who are going to be... uh, the support system, the help meet for their pastor husband will be able to take this program. It'll have to do with uh, entertaining, design, homemaking, cooking, sewing, all of that. There's some controversy over whether this is appropriate for uh, for a seminary to offer such a course. And I might mention that uh, there used to be a degree in a lot of colleges, home economics. I took it in high school. As a matter of fact, uh, I was Betty Crocker, homemaker of tomorrow, selected in high school. (laughs) My kids laugh at that. But uh, that is no longer the case in many colleges. There are very few universities that offer that. And uh, we'll be discussing whether this is appropriate for Southwestern Theological Seminary to offer something like this. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I also want to talk about the interview we just had and Billy Graham and the appropriateness of vocal faith being expressed by a president or even in a political campaign as many of the uh, the candidates for president, especially on the Democrat side, are trying to do right now. And it's very interesting because we've really had no secret made of the faith of our president, President Bush. And uh, there was a story written by the guest in the last segment, Nancy Gibbs, as she wrote about the pastor-in-chief, uh, the president and the preachers, the new book, talked about... Um, President Bush's faith, and of course, uh, he was a guest. Billy Graham was a guest at Kennebunkport every summer with President Bush one. George and Barbara invited him and his wife every, every summer, and they were always there. They were very grateful. He took a walk on the beach one day with their eldest son, George W. Bush, and that encounter put George W. Bush on a path to a new relationship with Jesus. It planted a mustard seed. That's what uh, President Bush said, a mustard seed in his soul But a few years later, he actually got in an argument with his mother about exactly who could and could not get into heaven. And here's what President Bush said. He said that only born-again Christians were eligible for entrance, as he had been learning in his Bible study. Of course, Barbara Bush disagreed with this. She telephoned Billy Graham to let him settle the matter. And Billy Graham said that while the younger Bush's reading of the Bible might be technically correct, he warned both of them that no one should try to play God, for God alone knows who has and who has not received Christ as their Savior. The bottom line there is, is to get into heaven, you must receive Christ as your Savior. Only God knows who has done that, and you know that if you have done that, and I want to encourage you to do that today. But ladies and gentlemen, I also want to play a couple of sound bites from some presidential candidates, because we've got these uh, folks, especially on the Democrat side, saying they're religious, saying that their religion is important to them, saying that uh, people should vote for them because of their religion, and yet they're advocating policies that are 
really not in line with a biblical position on things. And I want to go to John Edwards in the debate last week on uh, the Logo Network. It was the uh, the debate about homosexual issues. John Edwards said that he thought it's a, it's a good idea to teach in public schools that it's okay to have two mommies or two daddies. The only thing I, w- I would add to that is I do think it's important, though, for the kids that their peers understand what's happening. Because otherwise, you know, ch- you know children are children, and they can be mean and cruel, as I know that, that as you have seen. Mm-hmm. And the question is whether we as adults have a responsibility to make sure that they're educated, that they understand this is a good thing, and it's something that we as Americans uh, believe in and embrace. Hillary Clinton has talked about the importance of her Methodist faith, how important that is in her life. And uh, she was asked on that same stage by singer Melissa Etheridge about her husband's record when he was president on homosexual issues. Melissa Etheridge, not too happy about it. She said uh, homosexuals felt like they'd been thrown under the bus. Well, you know, obviously, Melissa, I don't see it quite the way that you describe, but I respect um, your um, feeling about it. you know, from the moment that Bob Hattoy spoke at the Democratic Convention, uh, through the appointments that were made, both uh, to um, positions in cabinet agencies as well as in the White House, uh, to the ongoing struggle against uh, Gingrich and the Republican majority, uh, I think that uh, we certainly didn't get as as much done as I would have liked, but. I believe that uh, there was a lot of honest effort going on by the president, the vice president, and the rest of us who were trying to keep the uh, the momentum going. Hillary Clinton made much uh, in this debate about the fact that she had been instrumental in helping to stop the passage of the federal marriage amendment that would have defined marriages between one man and one woman. And Barack Obama said... Uh, that Christians were basically relying on the Old Testament and that Jesus, he implied that Jesus never said anything about homosexuality. But he's not looking at the whole Bible because the letters of Paul are very clear that homosexuality is a sin. If you look in Romans 1, you see that. Uh, and you talk about the wrath of, it talks about the wrath of God being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and un- unrighteousness. It talks about really the uh, undermining of God's plan for man and woman. And also in 1 Corinthians 6, uh, verse 9, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites. You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.